Um, we're in a series on um, agape yourself because the world needs a healthier you. How many of you think the world could be a healthier place? Do you know some of you? A lot of you don't think it could be healthier. You guys must live in a really sweet bubble of candy canes and lollipops and cotton candy. And so the world, the world is a neat, we want the world to be healthier and kinder and that we want there to be more love there. But rarely do we say, I want that love to start with me. And the great thing about Christianity, Christianity doesn't sit here and say, everybody else should be doing this. It's saying, this is what I can do. This is my part. And as Christians, we take responsibility for our place. We don't take responsibility just to to be in church or the tithe or to read our Bible, but we take responsibility to be declaring the gospel, the good news, which is a loving gospel, a kind gospel, an amazing gospel. And so I'm going to, it was going to be seven ways to agape yourself, but I've cut it down to five, five ways. So I'm going to talk out of 1 Corinthians 13 today, then I'm going to use scriptures for, for many of these points. But how many of you have heard that Christians have to love one another? We've heard that, right? And what we do is when we take that and we're fond of the Declaring love like the whole world needs to be loved and we just need more love. But this is the thing. When we make it super general or that the whole world just needs love, we make it ineffective. The whole world needs more love, but it needs more of God's love. And it needs more of God's love through you and me. It doesn't just need more nice stuff. It doesn't need more sexual love. It doesn't need even more brotherly love. It 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 doesn't need emotional love. It needs agape love. It needs this kind affection from heaven sort of love to change. So as Christians, we have a very defined, clear idea of God's love. And it is sacrificial. It is all of those things. And we also hear, love the world. But if you're just loving the world, it's like a shotgun approach. And we're supposed to love the world. and, And we're supposed to determine, this is the part of the world I will love. I have determined to love well my wife and my children. That's a part of my world. I want to love everybody's marriage, but I love everybody's marriage best when I love my marriage most. I want to love everybody's children, but I love, I love everybody's children best when I love my children most. I have a geographical area that I'm called to love. It's my neighborhood. It's Wildwood and Oakcrest. And it's my community here where I work and where I go to church. A geographical area. So when you drive home, you can be asking God, God, what's my geographical area? And of course, it's your neighborhood. Of course, it's the four walls of your house. It's the north and south and east and west of your of your lot of land that you're going to love people. Whoever come on is going to be loved intentionally. So we don't have to worry about loving the world when we're loving our geographic world. Okay. Now, some people are called to single moms. Some people are called to people that are sick and they, they learn the strategies. They learn how to really focus their love on cancer patients or, or at-risk kids or, you know, stay-at-home moms or at businessmen. And we, we as a church will love better when each of us narrow down who are my, I think it was Sprint of Verizon that said, who are my top five? 
So if it's my neighborhood and my, if it's my family, my neighborhood, my church, my community, I mean my family, my neighborhood, and my church, maybe in the context of those three geographical areas, there's a few people in each of those that say, these are my people. These are my people. Now, I worked in the Aldine area for a while, and we lived in Greenspoint. So that, that was my area. That was my area, Greenspoint, south of Greenspoint. I'd drive, I'd drive east to go over to by MacArthur High School, right south of us was Sam Houston High School. And I, I determined for my five years at Aldine area that I was going to love that group of people. And, and there were teenagers at that time. So it was that region, that geographic region. But then there were teenagers, and there were teenagers that were in the church or the, the, the youth or the school of the church. So I had a refined area of who I was going to love and how I was going to love, how I was how I was going to love and it had, it had determined factors. Our love, our love can be made practical. And when it's made practical and intentional, you'll love people more. But this is the thing. When we're taught to leap over ourselves, like don't love yourself, love your neighbor, then we're always exhausted by loving our neighbor. That's why ministers get burnt out so much because they forget to receive God's love, which transforms the way they look at themselves and we do that. We like, I'm going to go help people. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to go help. And then we, we reach over God's love for us. We must receive his agape love. We receive, the Bible says in John, that he poured his love out to us. So he pours his love out to us. It's not like we get it and we throw it on to other people. He pours his, his love out into us and then it flows through us. We're, we are salt and light, not just him. But we're salt and light best and most when we're flowing out of his love for us. What happens is we hear a rule, I'm supposed to love the world. I'm supposed to love unconditionally, which I'm, I can't. He can Okay, I can't love unconditionally. I can't love the world. I can love I can love him and receive his love and then love my part of the world and trust that other people are loving their part of the world. So I I receive his agape love. I must experience his affection for me, for my mental life, my emotional life and for my spiritual life to be steady. And often what church does and doctrine does is it takes that agape love. It saved us into eternal life. Now you better get to work and you better not mess up because he might take away his love. And then we say, no, no, he loves us unconditionally, but we remove ourselves from his love if we, if we sin and if we do wrong. The thing is, if I'm, if I'm really understanding and operating and receiving agape love, I am actually wanting to not do things that I had naturally wanted to do before because this love is radical. And that's where the metamorphosis, the changing of the butterfly, the changing of me into something beautiful takes place. So there's a flow that's got to happen in this agape love. Now, a lot of teaching gives as an obligation, you must love others. It's a commandment. And I'm not going to... I'm not going to talk about loving others. I'm going to talk about yourself. But, but when, we, when we make something as a commandment, then we put a burden on people to perform duties to prove that they've met that commandment. The commandment to love others is to love others as I love myself. If I'm loving myself, I will supernaturally be loving onto others. If I am connected to the resources of heaven... I will be connected to myself and I will be connected to those around me. 
Don't trust anybody that says that they experience God regularly and they're not loving other people. Don't trust anybody that says that they hear from God, but they can't stand themselves or they don't love other people. When we hear from God, we begin to sense his love and that love transfers and goes through us. Our love, this is, this is, my, this is my introduction, our love of others is not a result of following a commandment. Our love of others is a result of receiving his love for us. So I am so loved, I am so well taken care of that I can give you my love. I am so well, it's kind of like being, I am so wealthy, my father has given me billions of dollars. I am so wealthy that everything I give out can never make me feel empty because I have so much in my bank account. I have so much in who I am and I have so much in whose I am and what my resources are that I'm constantly backed by this kingdom love, by this agape love of father to son that I never get weary in giving out. And when I do get weary, I can stop and I can check where I disconnected from my father, where I started walking out in duty and doing it as a fulfillment of a commandment. No, I do think we should be strategically, intentionally loving people. You should be able to look at your calendar and say, who did I love in the month of January that could not love me back? Who, who did I take care of financially? Who did I help with a cup of coffee even? Who did I go and mow their yard? Who did I help in January with my time and my, my talent or my energy or myself of who I am? And then who did I help with my, my treasure? I think that, that is like, I'm going to be intentional about how I give my love out. I'm going to be intentional. So when you're looking into March, which is coming up soon, how will you intentionally and who will you intentionally love? And if you're praying for them, God will give you. God, our prayer isn't just, I'm going to pray and I'm done. I leave that over there. Prayer often motivates us into do compassionate things. So loving yourself is the best way you can love your family. Loving yourself, agape in yourself. I want to say agape yourself. I don't want to say love yourself. Stevie's going to cover self-love and, 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 and juxtapose it with agape love versus self-love. I'm out of, out of 1 Timothy. I'm not talking about loving yourself and indulging yourself in all the wrong ways. And, and we're going to, you know, the, the, you'll, you'll see that when we get to 1 Corinthians 13. The best way you can love your family is to learn how much God loves you, love yourself, and live that out towards your family. The best way you can love the world is to receive God's love. And I don't mean to receive it one time. Even though we poured it out, there's, there's volume after volume after volume of us actually getting to it. Now I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. I'm going to speak out of that today in these points. And it says, love is patient, verse 4. Love is kind. It does not envy it does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It, or love, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, we know that that right there is a definition for how to agape someone, right? Right? 
That's how God agapes me. He's patient with me. He's kind with me. He doesn't envy me. So the thing is, is then how, how do I then go and live this scripture out in regards to loving myself? Have you ever thought about taking 1 Corinthians 13 and lining up your thoughts about yourself according to 1 Corinthians 13? Have you ever thought about that? So we're going to do that this morning. How will I love myself? It says, I will be, love is patient. It says, love is patient. How can you be patient with yourself? That's proof. That's fruit. That's fruit that you are loving to yourself when you're patient with yourself. When you, this, this is how you're patient with yourself. When you make a mistake, you don't retaliate against yourself. You don't say, that was stupid, I'm an idiot, I'm such a loser, I should have never tried. That is unloving to yourself. If your kid came up and they tried, they, they tried something, they tried out for a team, they didn't make it, you're like, oh man, what an idiot, I can't believe you. you're no good, you're never going to be any good at that. Wow, that would be unloving, right? Yet we have conversations in our own head about our own self that sound the same way. We are not very patient with ourselves, and I'm not. Be, I'm not saying be like like uh, just forget about sin or forget about uh, weak areas that are tripping you up. What I'm saying is God has forgiven you and being patient with you over and over and over again. So you look at yourself and pat yourself right here. Say, I will. I will give myself second, third. Fourth and beyond chances. You will get that's being patient. I will be patient with myself. Agape love for yourself, it says also, protects you from yourself. Agape love protects you from yourself by believing what he says about you. If he is patient with me and I am his, then I have no right to be impatient with myself. In fact, your impatience with yourself is unloving. And it's just like if you look at somebody and you say, I've used this before, but you know, you've got a baby, he starts to walk. The first time he gets up, he walks a few steps and he falls down. And you're like, what a loser. My kid's never going to walk. I can't believe it. He tried. What a failure. But no, what do we do? We snap a picture. We videotape it on our phones and we send it to everybody and we rejoice that they took two steps. But we don't rejoice when we take two steps or when we have a whole month of sobriety. We're like, we're crushed and we're ashamed and we're impatient with ourselves. We can be patient with ourselves. Our, our patience with ourselves sounds like something. It sounds like how we talk to ourselves. In fact, all of these sound like something. It says here, love does not envy. Now, we know that when I envy someone, that's not loving. That's when I envy someone for something or, or a talent or a gift or a thing they have or something they do, that that's not godly and it's not loving of them. But did you know when you're envious of others that you are not loving yourself? When you're envious of others, you're not loving yourself. Envy hurts you because envy is replacing gratitude for what you have for who you are and what God's doing for you, okay? So envy, when you're envious, you're hurting yourself. You're being unloving to yourself because you're replacing gratitude and thankfulness and clarity of how wonderful and amazing God's made you with envying somebody else, wishing, hoping that you were something that you weren't created to be. 
So envy hurts you. So when you're envious of others, you're not celebrating your talents. You're not being thankful for your talents. And you're not even being thankful for their talents. When you're envious, you're saying, I want what they have. You're not saying, I'm so glad glad God provided for them. And we're in an envious culture right now. We're in an envious culture, not just of what you look like, but of what you have and how much you have. And that replaces our own responsibility to love ourselves and for us to be God's best children. Um, what Another thing how envy hurts is when you're envious, you stop that person's gift from flowing to you. So when you're envious of somebody's gift, whether it's teaching, preaching, prophetic, finances, and they have an anointing in relationship and being funny and showing up to a party, those are all giftings and talents that people have. When you're envious that, you'll judge it and you cut off their ability to befriend you and give their gift to you. A lot of our envy is cutting off the finances that are rightfully ours because we're envious and greedy of what people have and, and how much they have. And we think that it means something wrong about them, but that if we have it, it would mean something right about us. So in this envious is I will not look at others with an evil eye. We could replace, I will not be envious. I will not look at others with an evil eye. I will not look at myself with an evil eye. I will not look to deprive them of what they have out of my envy, but I will not look to deprive myself of what God's given me. So when we're envious of others, we deprive ourselves from the beauty that we have, from the gifting that we have. And um, when I look at what another person has or doesn't have and I'm envious, I'm actually comparing myself. I'm doing exactly what the devil does. The devil says, this is the law, and here's the five ways you broke the law. He's lining up like an accountant would line up, like a banker would line up, like a judge would line up everything against you. And you're saying, you're saying to yourself, I will compare myself. And comparing yourself is a sin. Because you are saying, you're either saying, I am better than them in this way. Or I am worse than the, them in this way. And you, as God's child, have no right to say that you're better than his other children. And, right, we would all agree to that, right? I don't have any right to say I'm better. But you have no right to say that you're worse than his other children either. You have no right. Both of them are envious. Both of them are prideful. Both of them are saying, I will decide if I am lovable. I will decide. That's pride. When you say, I will decide if my sin will keep me out of heaven, that's pride. If you say, I will decide what works will get me into heaven, we know that's pride. But we forget that pride is very double-sided. So it says here in Galatians 6, 4. By the way, when you compare, you're measuring yourself up against other people. And um, that's always a lose-lose situation. Uh, Galatians 4, 6 in the Passion Translation. Let everyone be devoted to fulfill the work God has given them to do with excellence. So you're, give, you're, given, you're given a way to do. You have some work to do that you can devote yourself to do. You have some loving work set just for you. Just for you. It's just for you to do. Some loving work that you can devote yourself to. If you got saved yesterday or if you've been saved for 50 years... 
You've got some work to devote yourself to, and you can do it with excellence. I don't mean excellence like perfection, but you're in the process of the journey. So, and your joy will be in doing what's right, and get this, and being themselves. And being themselves. You are called to be yourselves. You're not called to be like anybody else around you. That doesn't mean we don't have role models. That doesn't mean we don't learn. That doesn't mean we don't have mentors. That doesn't mean any of that. But you are a unique individual rightly set to do excellent work, to be devoted to work. Now, now think about that. To be themselves and not in being affirmed by others. I love that. Be yourself. Don't look for others to give you in. I mean, you want input. Don't get me wrong. You want, you want, but it doesn't affect me. I win. I, I win in my situation when I'm devoted to his work that I was designed to do being me doing his work for me. That's what, that's where I win. I don't win when I win on your scale or your scale or your scale. I don't win when somebody says, well, I really like that Les Heron. I really like his preaching. I really like what he's doing. In fact, that might lead me, me listening to that might lead me down a wrong path outside of his good work that he's called me and wants me to devote to do with excellence. So when I envy others, there's a lot to be envious, isn't there? Because whatever you have, I mean, it's like the person who's married that envies the person that's single while the person that's single is envying the person that's married. And the person that has a job that they don't like is envying the person that, 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 that doesn't have a job that gets to stay home while that person wishes they had a call on their life to go do something to, to produce an income. It's envy, 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 envy. The wonderful, it's not wonderful. The really horrible thing is we can all be envious of each other and never even know it. Never even know we're disconnecting. You know, your body's not envious of itself. You this glorious hair that I have, my big toe, which is hidden all the time, is not jealous of my hair. It's not. You, you, you know that, that, that my, you know, th- think about that. My speaking voice, how I speak, is not, it's not like envious. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to stop right there, but think, think about that. Or as a body, we gain from one another when we honor and we love and we're affectionate towards what we have. And we show up and we give ourselves in the very best of ways. If you, I shouldn't say if because I think we all do it. Um, if you compare yourself with others and you are not agaping yourself. If you compare yourself favorably with others like you're better or if you compare yourself as, as, as worse than them. You're coming out a loser on either end, okay? So uh, we're going to think about that because you can hear yourself. It comes in sentences in your head of when you're envying. When you, and and I, I'm, I think that we should be properly um, inspired. I sometimes use the word jealous. We shouldn't be inspired when we see somebody's life. that We go, oh, I love that. I want some of that. That, we, that, that's inspiring instead of in, in, inducing envy. So this third thing, it says that love is not prideful. Love is not prideful. Did you know that it's unloving for, to yourself? It hurts you as a person to walk in pride. The one before here says that, um, that uh, it, it, uses bo- it uses both. It says, 
Love is not boastful and the love not prideful. Boastful is using your words. Prideful is a position of your heart. It's really having your, to be prideful is to be having your chin up and to have your chest out, which that might be a good way to walk, but it's not a good way to walk spiritually in pride. Is it to be, to be prideful when you, when you're, when you're prideful, you give a, you give an image of someone that is, uh, inaccessible, um, I always see someone talking with an English accent with an escort right here, right? They're, they can be snooty sounding, can't they? They're real proper English. That's why we like the Scottish and Irish because they sound more, they sound more like real people. Um, uh, because if you're walking in pride, you're literally being puffed up. You're literally being misshapen of who you're supposed to be. A man and a woman of humility is not beaten down. They still stand up straight. They still stand up tall. They still walk around with strength, but their dependency comes from the Lord. Humility is not, I'm a worm, I'm nothing, and over here... I'm amazing. Humility is a third option of I am strong and wonderful and fearfully made. And I have some gifts that God is shaping in me that are going to be awesome. And I'm going to start using them right now because I'm, I'm walking in humility. I'm walking in trust of what he has for me. You know, the worst thing about walking in pride is that you set up, think about a football game, when a person of pride is actually opposed by God. The imagery is that when you start, when you decide, I'm going to be in pride, that the Lord leaves your side and stands across the line from you and fights against you from moving forward. The Lord opposes those. So what you're saying when you're walking in pride is you're saying, I am in opposition to the one who created me. I will decide how to work my life out. That, that's pride. You're, 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 you're in opposition to your brother, Jesus. You're in opposition to your heavenly father. You're in opposition to your comfort and the counsel of the Holy Spirit. You're in opposition to all that scripture and all that the life of Jesus has to offer you. That's pretty tough. Basically, if, when we're walking in the pride about ourself, which is the wrong kind of self-love, which is not agape... What you're really saying is I am willing, I am choosing to be on the opposite side of everything that is awesome about God. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to walk in pride about ourselves, Our thoughts, a lot of times our mouth doesn't sound prideful, but our thoughts run really prideful. And the Lord will, if you will allow him, he will, he will like tell you that is pride. That is pride. That is pride. And he'll tell you that is envy. And he'll, he'll tell you, he'll speak to us if we continue on in that relationship. This fourth one is I will. It says love is not rude. And I like think about that. Love is not rude. How are we rude to ourselves? So this is what rudeness does. Rudeness disrupts and causes disorder and discomfort, doesn't it? So I will not be rude. I will not bring disorder in my life. I will not disrupt the life that Jesus is living through me. I will not disrupt. I will not dishonor. I will not bring discomfort into my life. I will live a life. That, so what, what, what rudeness is, 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 an, is an unkindness. And it's, it's actually translated 
um, if you're taking notes, in, in, in 12.23, so we're in 1 Corinthians 13. In 12.23, Jesus says, uh, Paul says, and the parts that are unpresentable or rude are treated with special modest, modesty. So we have this idea, to love myself, I will not put myself in disorder. But in those areas that are a bit unattractive, like maybe my big toe or may, maybe my spleen, I don't know, is, is, an, is spleen an attractive thing? Probably not. Maybe my kidney, maybe my liver, maybe some other private parts that are not seen. That when I know they exist, get, I want you to get this. I know they're unpresentable. I know this about myself, that in my unredeemed part that I'm not transformed. And I, I, I hinder myself in these areas. So I, won't, I, I will be kind to myself and I will honor those areas by keeping them a little bit more protected than I would something else. I will take better care of my big toe than I will my hair. All right? Because what's going to cause me more problems if I lose my big toe or I lose my hair? I mean, think about that. So I won't be rude to myself as I will honor some of these maybe unpresentable parts that are within me. I, now, I, won't, I won't just say, oh, that's just my sin or that's just my, that's just my personality, but I, I, I'll, I'll work with them and I'll give them some honor. I'll give them some sort of esteem because they're working something in me. Because the Lord's doing a hidden work in my big unattractive toe and he's doing something there and I, it's going gonna, it's gonna to manifest some goodness somewhere in my life. So this last one, it's probably the one we, we, we're most familiar with, is love keeps no records of wrongs so remember we talked about an envy that if you line up what you did wrong you lined up how you are if you ever hear yourself lining yourself up when you pray god bless this and then you start having lined up why he shouldn't bless you or why maybe you don't deserve it that's the enemy helping you think of those things i will keep no records of my wrongs i will forget the sins of my past listen to what the lord says in scripture Hebrews 8.12, this is God speaking, for I will be merciful and gracious towards their sins, and I will remember their deeds of unrighteousness no more. Leviticus 19.18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against yourself. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgression from you so if you have if he if he gives up the right to judge you sin upon sin time upon time then who are you to judge yourself as unworthy of his love what you think about who are you to judge yourself as unworthy of god's love it says in uh in romans 8 9 there's several more scriptures on 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 the the sin part but you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. Everybody say, I am in the realm of the spirit. You can just assume you're in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, which he does, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But you, you belong to Christ. I'm going to ask Charlotte to come up here and, and I'm going to do something here at this very, this very end. I just want to do a simple... And, and, and maybe the Lord's already already done it. I'm not sure, but I want us to have a simple, um, uh, 
simple prayer of hope. Herman had given me a, a word about the spirit of hope, and I had written down this morning before I left the house that um, that I will always hope, that I was going to conclude on that, that it says that, that love always hopes. But the love, the love that always hopes isn't the love I can muster up and work hard at. Like, I'll, like I'm going to work up love for my marriage or love for my kids or love for my enemy or love for... I don't have to muster it up. It's not like self-generated love that takes willpower and work. It's a receiving love. So when I receive that love, I have hope. I have a spirit. There's a spirit of hope. That, that there's a future for me. It's an amazing future. It's a good future. And the future isn't doesn't have to have. I don't mean the future when I die. I mean the future today when I walk home. Tomorrow when I wake up. That there's a hope and a future right now while we're here on earth. And we forget that. And there is some wrong teaching on the sovereignty of God. There's some wrong teaching on, on the miserableness of the world that we need to suffer through. And um, we've talked a bit about that. But there's a, there's a love that we're meant to receive. So if you want to receive that hope, I want you to stand up. God is not waiting on you. This, this is the deal. God is not waiting on you to get something right. All right? And we are not waiting on God to pour out any more love or, or do, another, do another cross. What the, what, what, what the disconnect often is, is just re- is receiving. Is receiving. Even hope can just be received. It can, he, he, he can be. He can be experienced. It doesn't, it doesn't take a service for us to experience him but it can be in service it doesn't take an anointed musician for us to experience in him it takes a turning to him and receiving and believing to rise up our level of belief in his goodness so it's uh, Herman wrote down spirit of hope that he H-O-P-E he operates patiently eternally he never stops loving us but we get impatient we need to look for him in all things. And that's like exactly the end of this message, okay? Is that he is always patiently, internally. It says in Galatians, he will complete. He will complete. If you're a horrible, miserable person and you come into the kingdom, means he started something, he will complete. And we can rejoice and love ourselves at whatever part he's completed us. And um, this idea of hope is I will share in the relationship of God here and now, not later on in heaven. I will experience, I will share in the blessings and the love and the grace and the peace of God today, tomorrow, the next day, and then into eternity. But I don't wait till my, I leave my physical body. I start it now. So just, just go ahead and close your eyes. And Charlotte's going to, she doesn't know this, but she's going to sing a song about hope. Okay. Just, uh, and it's just um, this, this, this hope of uh, just to receive, just receive that spirit of hope, the spirit of Jesus. There's hope in that. Just take a couple minutes, Charlotte. Thank you, Father. You're the God of hope. Fill us with hope. 